Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Patrick McGrath, who's CEO of Blue Moon Mining, their TSXV listed uh, polymetallic exploration company. And if you want our thoughts and opinions on that conversation, their project, and indeed the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club where you can also find detailed company reports. There's market commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of commodities and companies. There are training videos uh, and also summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you a little bit of time and a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. So do go along and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Patrick, how are you doing, sir? Good, Matthew. How are you? Not too bad. How are things up in Halifax? Not too bad. It's uh, we're in a little bit of lockdown here, but it's uh, you know it's not a bad place to be stuck. That's not a bad part of the world, indeed. Hey, well, look, thanks for coming on the show. Well, look, we've not spoken before, so I'm, I'm was uh, keen to hear this story because I want to see what's happening in the world of zinc. You're gonna update us, so that's the, that's good news. Um, but before we get into that, why don't you give us a one minute overview on the business, and then I'll pick it up from there. Sure. So our primary asset is the Blue Moon Zinc deposit, and it's a it's a polymetallic, so it's not just zinc, but it's primarily zinc, uh, but it also has significant amounts of copper, gold, and silver. So what I like about it, it's a, it's a diversified deposit, um, so you're not relying on just one metal. And basically, it's a, it's a mix on the gross value of our metal in the ground. It's roughly 50-50 between base metals and 50% precious metals. Okay. Okay. Good split. Okay. Um, tell me a bit about you. What's your background? So I'm a CPA or a professional accountant. So my, my primarily, you know, my career path has been on the financial financing side, uh, primarily in reorganizations and uh, resource base between oil and gas and mining. Right. Okay. So any experience of running junior mining companies before? Sure. So that's kind of where I where I learned the business. I, I you know, was under a couple of great mentors. I had a, a couple of gentlemen that that had founded Bima Gold and Eldorado Gold. I spent about 10 years with them. And what I really learned from them was, you know, when you're starting out, you want to have a really great resource in front of you or under, under your feet. And that's what I really like about Blue Moon is we're starting out with 8 million tons of resource uh, with the ability to expand that, you know, significantly through exploration development. So that's, that's really where, you know, I learned the business is you want to start off with an asset that can, can make it to production. Right. Okay. So, the, the, but this is the first company you've headed up. So you've put a team together. Where have they come from? Yeah. So I think the, you, you know, these are people I've worked with in the past. So Jack McClintock is a, uh, a geologist and engineer. He's a former BHP, very high up on, on BHP's ladder. Um, and what is significant about Jack is, you know, he, he was involved in the worldwide exploration team at BHP, including um, you know, he founded the Spence deposit, which is one of the largest copper deposits in Chile while he was at BHP. And he won PDAC Mining Person of the Year for that. So a guy who has been there, done that, uh, accomplished a lot in his career, and now, you know, helping me develop this asset. And also on the board is uh, Douglas Urch. Uh, Doug is primarily on the oil and gas side, but involved in several uh, very successful ventures on the oil and gas side that eventually got bought out for I think he had two ventures that were bought out for half a billion dollars each. So a strong team. And I've worked with each of those gentlemen 
uh, length in the past. Right, and so they're, they're a mixture of sort of oil and gas experience and, and some mining, that's what I'm hearing. That's right. So my technical guy is obviously on the mining side. Uh, Doug Urch is a CFO of those entities. So he's, he's our audit committee chair and on, on the finance side. Okay, well, we better get into it. So it's relatively, relatively new. And I think in 2020, we're moving at a slightly different pace. So um, can you tell me how you came into this project? Um, obviously, folks on Blue Moon, I know you've got another project, but how did you acquire it? What did it cost? All that good stuff. Yeah, sure. So it's a little bit of an interesting background. It's, um, you know, I was originally a shareholder. Uh, myself and Jack uh, knew about this asset. It's a it's a former Bleedon asset, and for those of you who don't know, Bleedon, you know, is one of the premier um, European base metal producers. So, you know, when Bleedon had a North American division, they had the the two assets that we have, and primarily Blue Moon. Um, so it's a, you know, we knew we had this large resource of, of zinc uh, that was sitting there in a pubco, uh, but it was really not doing very much. So we accumulated a share position through the market. So I I bought my position primarily through the market and got enough. Uh, a large enough position that we took over the, the board and management team. So that's my involvement is I became a shareholder. I liked it so much that I eventually took over the company and myself and Jack became the management and board. Why, why do that? Why not just sit back and let that management team do their thing? Were they doing it wrong? Well, no, they were, they were just, uh, they were not doing anything with the asset. Um, you know, it's, so it will come to the reason being is that the asset is in the United States and more particularly in California. So, you know, there is a, uh, I guess, a perception there for a while that California was a, a no-go for mining companies. And so that's why the asset was laid dormant. It had actually been sitting in a pubco one iteration after another, uh, but not doing any work for 20 years. And the, the reason why you can do that in some jurisdictions in the U.S. is because the land tenure is so strong and it doesn't cost very much in holding costs. So you can keep that asset for a long period of time and not do any work. Um, so that's what the previous team was doing. Um, but what we really saw is a couple of major events. We saw the zinc market do very well. Um, you know, the supply demand fundamentals uh, started tipping in our favor, zinc prices doing well. The second piece is that we saw a lot of projects in California. Uh, and in particular, one project that was an open pit heap leach in Southern California, get through the permitting process and into commercial production. It was a real eye-opener for us. We contacted uh, that gentleman that, that did that, the CEO of that company, and he uh, you know, became a shareholder of ours and helped us with uh, you know, really some getting step-ups and getting introducing us to the environmental team that he used, uh, introducing us to his uh, you know, legal counsel who he used to get through the permitting process. And that's where we educated ourselves and realized, you know, California is open for business. You know, it's one of the, you know, one of the largest aggregate producers in North America. It has several large gold projects that are up and running and into commercial production. We've had Equinox on here and a couple of companies yesterday, actually, yeah. bizarrely. Um, but but talk, talk to me about the corporate structure because, you know, when there's a kind of takeover situation like this, it gets a bit messy. So who's still involved with any, any legacy issues, I guess is what I'm getting at. No, no legacy issues. I mean, it was a clean break. Um, you know, once we, we did call a shareholders meeting and, and there was a, a clean transfer of power over and yeah, we took over the full board of management team. Right. You know, we're, you know, the prior team had focused on some exploration assets in Nevada, Quebec, you know, and then they had the this Blue Moon asset, but in in the background. So what we did is, you know, we realigned the company to focus on the Blue Moon as we think it's a, a near-term 
uh, and exploration upside potential on it and you know eliminated the the exploration assets that that we felt didn't add value at this time okay so talk to me about the shareholders which were there when you arrived because if this thing has been sitting and just being sort of not doing very much for a long time now is that the thing that's what you're saying to me uh, they must be desperate to get out and you know take their money with them so again are you having conversations with them to talk about the future or indeed their intent yeah, so we took over the company, call it two and a half years ago. So the, there was, like you said, there would be shareholders that were focused on other projects that the company was then working on. Um, and then there was also shareholders that wanted to focus on Blue Moon. So you're right, there was probably two different camps. And it was just a matter of, um, you know, when we started marketing the company, those that wanted to get out got out and those, you know, that wanted to stay, stayed. And then we also got new shareholders that came in that, that liked what we were doing. Um, and you know that's where we did have some turnover of shareholders, and now we think we, we all our shareholders behind us have. It's been two years of dealing with Blue Moon, and we think you know shareholders that are there are, are there for the Blue Moon project. Okay, so there's no no overhang that you're concerned about coming down the line. No. Okay. No, I think everything. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about the project then. So what did you see there? Well, you must have known a bit about it. You were a shareholder yourself. So um, what information did you then get access to having to taken the asset over? Yeah. So as I mentioned, uh, Bleeden and, you know, one of the, the other companies was called Westman at the time, you know, uh, and, and also Imperial Metals. They were, they were kind of the, the trio that did the bulk of the work in the 80s. And they did extensive drilling. Um, you know, behind the scenes, we, we have all the reports that they prepared. We have, you know, excellent catalog of the, the data that they, they did in terms of the drilling, uh, the engineering, you know, they did, you know, what I'll call pre-43101 pre-feasibility studies. They did metallurgical work, um, you know, so they did extensive, extensive work and actually brought it to the point where they applied for and received a permit to build a 600 foot shaft. Um, and that was approved by the state of California. Um, and unfortunately, Bleeding didn't go forward with it. Um, but what it showed us, and, and we we're able to get access to all that data is that, you know, they had the full permitting data that they that they put in place at that time. Um, so we have a, a lot of material from that that era. And, you know, in today's dollar amount, that's probably worth 20, 30 million dollars. So it, it's great work. So that's the foundation of what we have. And then going forward, obviously, we you know, we've gone through, reanalyzed the, the data, and we see these new opportunities to expand the deposit, as well as um, in VMS deposits, they're often found in clusters. So it's a volcanic mass of sulfide. And our deposit is near vertical. And, you know, we have the ground along strike. We believe there's a high probability, as most other VMS deposits, that there's going to be more of these deposits along strike. So our Bigger picture plan is, you know, we have 8 million tons in front of us. We obviously want to try to uh, identify multiples of that and turn this into a larger scale project. So how much money have you got? Um, you know, right now we, we've we got probably a quarter million dollars. Um, right. You know, what our game plan is, is to uh, go to the capital markets probably early next year and put together some drilling and initial engineering funds. So what's, what's the last two years been about? Is it about getting getting the house in order or waiting for the market to recover? What, what have you done during that time? Yeah, so for the last two years, like what we did is, um, you know, we went out and did a small drill program about two years ago. Uh, you know, we the, the, the one significant hole that we drilled was probably one of the, the best holes ever drilled on the property. 
So, you know, we're very happy. It showed that there's a high grade component to the deposit and it showed it at good interval. Um, you know, the metal markets did come off uh, and what we ended up doing was a joint venture. So we did a joint venture uh, with another entity and they were to spend up to $11 million to earn a 70% interest. And they went out and did do an initial drill program in late 2019, very successful. Um, but unfortunately, they weren't able to keep the funding going in 2020. And now that that's going to the whole project's 100% is going to revert back to Blue Moon. So it was Platina. So is that Platina? Correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. So they are completely out, out of it. They have no residual uh, ownership of this. They're... They yeah, they won't um, because they won't be able to meet their their stage one earning commitment. When does that terminate officially? It's uh, officially terminates in February of 2021. So in a couple of months. Okay. So to answer your question, like in the last two years, um, you know, we drilled it. Uh, then when the market was tight, we didn't want to dilute. So we did a joint venture. We had our joint venture partner come in, expend considerable funds and, and uh, significant drill results as a result of their, their inability to continue the, the full, you know, they're supposed to drill 10,000 meters and they're not going to get there it's going to revert 100% back to us. I'd also say too, the other thing we did is we cleaned up some of the NSRs. There was 2% two NS, NSR on the property and we went out and acquired it during the middle of COVID at a very reasonable price. Um, so just cleaning up the tenure as well. Right. And you've also gone and raised 300,000 bucks recently in September. Um, I guess, that is that a reaction to um, Platina turning around and saying, hey, we're just not going to be there for you? Exactly. So what we're doing is we're just lining up capital uh, with the idea that we're going to go out and, and we're going to get the property back 100%. And, you know, our, our goal always was to drill this ourselves. Uh, it just didn't make sense um, when the metal markets were soft. Uh, now that we're getting it back 100% with new drill results, which makes the project even bigger and better, our plan is to go drill it ourselves. So how much money? How many meters? Our, our goal is probably to do... Uh, you know, five to 7,000 meters. And we think that would be, you know, a mixture of development drilling. You know, we want to move the, the resource from an inferred to indicated. Uh, we also have some expansion opportunities on the deposit. And what we really like is, and this is what Bleeding was going to do. Bleeding was going to drill, do a, a, a 800 foot shaft and they were going to drill at depth. And so instead of this is a 10 year mine life, they're going to show it's a 20 year mine life. So we think that's kind of lower hanging fruit. And Bleeding was going to do the shaft at that time because it was cheaper to drill from underground. You know, with today's drilling technology, you, you know, we don't think we need to drill a, you know, put a shaft in. We can drill from surface. We think there's there's additional lenses along strike, and you know, you know that would be a game changer if we could find another lens or two. It, it would be, but it, it all takes money and it, and it takes time, and you've got to you've got to hit these cycles right. So, and, and as a polymetallic, um, I guess different commodities shine at different different points uh, in the marketplace. So right now, how are you positioning or how will you be positioning when you go out to raise money in terms of telling the polymetallic story? Because again, people get a little bit confused about where the money's coming from. Sure. So, I mean, if you're talking about the deposit itself, um, you know, polymetallic obviously means multiple metals. Um, it, in terms of output, it's primarily zinc. Um, you, know, you know, that would be the primary output. In terms of gross value, it's roughly 50-50 between base and precious. So, you you know, it, in terms of numbers, I can tell you on our current 
resource itself, it's 750 million pounds of zinc on our current resource. Uh, obviously, we want to expand that, but that's where it sits. In terms of precious metals, it's 300,000 ounces of gold, 10 million ounces of silver. So you can see it's not insignificant uh, as a byproduct. And then, you know, you turn that 8 million into 16 million tons or 15 million tons, you can see all of a sudden you're getting up to half a million ounces of gold and, and you know, over well over a billion pounds of zinc. So that's where the picture story is for us. Okay, so in terms of how you move this forward, you're going for six or seven thousand meters, great. And you've got you know existing works, you've got existing data. But in terms of moving the story through the market, it, you know you you kind of need a bit of scale to kind of get get people interested, don't you? So what does next year or the year after look like? How do you plan uh, the, to to progress the story? Yeah, like you know initially be the drill bit. Um, so we think that's you know, anytime you can you can increase the resource significantly, we think that would re-rate us. Um, you know, I think as soon as you go over 10 million tons, all of a sudden you get into a different category. Um, if you can get up to the 12, 50 million tons, again, another another notch up on categories. And then at a certain point in time, it will switch over uh, from from drilling to you know focusing on the engineering side. So you're talking PEA, pre-feasibility, you know, you know, additional metallurgical work. Um, showing that this thing can come together on an economic scale. Okay, but I'm, I'm trying to work out where, where's that in your head? What, what is that moment in your head? What does the number need to be before you start to do the scoping study and start paying for scoping studies as opposed to drilling? Yeah, I think it's uh, probably in that 12, 12, 15 million ton range. Right. You know, I think once you're, you know, we think we can go out and do, uh, you know, we know we can do uh, economic study on it as is right now. But, you know, what we what makes more sense is to drill it off uh, and see how big you can get it and then start working on the engineering. Right. Do you, but do you feel that you would still consider getting a JV partner in, perhaps somebody who's better suited to it? I know you've, you've got, you know, one technical person there, but, you know, you're oil and gas guys as well. So if with spe specialist uh, strategic money comes to you and says, hey, maybe we could do something here together, have you been put off by the Platina experience? No, not at all. I mean, Platinum, um, they advanced the project. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, we're very happy with the results that they came up with. So to answer your question, you know, I'm the largest shareholder of this company. Um, my fellow board members are significant shareholders. So we're going to do what's right for shareholders because we are, you know, as a collective team, we own 20% of the company. I own roughly 15%. So, you know, we're, we're looking out for, you know, what makes sense for shareholders. And if it means of bringing the right partner for with either technical skills or, or the right capital or the ability to move it along, then we would certainly uh, look at that very closely. Okay, thanks for that. Um, should we talk about your Nanovit uh, project now? Sure, it's a Yavla property and it's another legacy Belidin asset. As I mentioned, it was a it was way back in time, it was a former uh, VP that, that put together the bleed in North American assets and rolled them into a, a public vehicle. So the, the Yava properties and none of it, it's um, the significance is it's on a green belt that is, it's about uh, 50 kilometers south of a, a major deposit called Hackett River. And the Hackett River is a major, other, it's another polymetallic deposit, another VMS deposit, i.e. that's why Bleeden was putting together these assets in the day. Uh, it's currently owned by Glencore. It's around 50 million uh, tons, I think 70 million between indicated and inferred. 
So it's a major deposit, and at some point in time, it will go into development. Um, so that's a little bit more uh, longer term, and that's why we focused on Blue Moon. It's Blue Moon's near term, it has infrastructure, uh, you know, it's, it, it's within line of sight, whereas the second project, it's a little bit longer down, down the path. But it's got great exploration potential. Like there's five holes put into the property and they have a million tons of, of resource. So it's something that you can go in and drill and you know make it bigger much very quickly. It's just more, a little bit more costly to deal in northern conditions. So there's a few other players up there. Um, have you been in discussions with some of those? So again, in terms of a JV type of arrangement. Um, you know what we've we, we have an open dialogue with uh, Glencore because Glencore is obviously you know right right next to us there and and you know they're at they're at a pre-feasibility level. Um, so our what our goal is is to keep in communication with with them and you know eventually someone's going to want to put that or consolidate that uh, because it's it's a major project. It'd be a you know major infrastructure spend, but it's got some very large numbers and it's an, it'd be an exciting project one day. It will be. And, and I guess your challenge as the CEO of a junior company of 7 million market cap is to work out, again, how do you, how do you time this right? How do you, get, how do you finance these things? You know, and how do you drive that, the value and retain value at the same time, I mm-hmm. guess? Um, so what, what, what are the options you, th- you thought of? I know eventually it will be, be suitable for someone, but wouldn't you rather get that going now? Um, we we would, um, you know, like I said, we've we've talked to the partner, uh, or not partner, but you know the, you know the, the the holder of that major deposit. So it's something that we'd like to see move forward uh, sooner rather than later. Um, it is held by one of the the super majors, so um, you know it takes a little bit of time to to work up a relationship there, and uh, hopefully. Um, something can happen with that, you know, whether it's us or whether it's another other partner, and we can we can um, you know enjoy the enjoy you know some more work and, and advance advancement of the project there. So, how are you finding being CEO of a junior mining company? Isn't it better being a, easier <laughs> being a shareholder? Uh, I would say yes. Um, it's it's obviously you have the ups and downs. Uh, it's uh, as you've seen in. You know, even talking about the last two years, you know, two years ago, zinc price was doing great. And then, you know, goes into a period where it, it uh, obviously it's a little bit more challenging. Um, and, you know, it looks like everything is lining up again for, for you know, a, a prolonged period of, of a bull run for, for some of these um, metals and particularly base metals. Why do you say that? Because, you know, we had, we had um, Andy Hine, Reuters, metals correspondent, and he thinks, you know, the zinc price is sort of temporary. I think that he's not expecting it to continue like this. I mean, why do you feel it is going to? Yeah, and I'm 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 not an analyst, obviously. So I, you know, I do follow the research reports and and what's available in the public domain. So I, I think some of the, the the bigger things is the supply demand has always been, um, you know, pretty pretty close. It's been pretty razor thin at times. So it doesn't take much for for it to move the needle. And you're not talking about a small metal here. Like zinc is the fourth most used metal in the world. So this is not a, a metal that's, that's, you know, very thinly traded or very thinly in terms of the, the, the amount produced. Um, the other thing is just the sheer infrastructure spend that the governments are looking to do. And I don't, you know, I've seen, you know, it's, whether it's in the Canadian side or whether it's the U.S. side, um, you know, both, both governments are saying that there's going to be a major infrastructure spend in the, in the coming years. Um, and, you know, who's the biz? Obviously that involves a lot of steel, 
uh, the biggest use of zinc is the alloy for steel. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of usage there. I think the other kind of uh, wild card out there is just the, the use of zinc is in, in batteries and in terms of the EV potential as well. I mean, that's something that, you know, it's hard to say how it's going to play out, but there's certainly some some neat technology out there that is showing that that zinc could replace, um, you know, a lot of the metal in, in, the, in the EV battery going forward. Okay, so you've got to be confident about the price of zinc for this project, just for the sheer volume of it uh, going forward. Um, what, I mean, how do you, how do you how do you manage the the, the polymetallic component, right? So pr- prices rise and fall across all of those commodities, and you know we've had people come on here who are formerly you know zinc stories, and all of a sudden they're a silver story because the value the value of the deposit in the ground changes. So I mean, have you have you any thoughts about how you manage that narrative in the marketplace? You know, when you especially when you're going sure. raising capital. Sure. So. Uh- I mean, I, I totally agree with you earlier this year, you, you know, gold is at $2,000 and, you know, we have a significant amount of gold in our property. Um, also, also silver as well. So, you know, that's, that's the nice thing about being, a, you know, a diversified uh, mine or a polymetallic mine is that you, you have all these elements going at once. You know, you, it gives us optionality too. You know, when we come to mine construction, you know, you can look at, at, uh, you know, different kind of offtakes or different royalty arrangements, so so forth. But overall, I think it's it's better to be polymetallic and have a diversified asset base um, for for in terms of selling commodities than than being a single commodity. Right, but it also comes down to the recoverability of it all. Um, so again, so what do you know about that? Is there any work been done on it? As I mentioned, we we have the benefit that uh, Bleed and did do some some metallurgical work and. You know, we, it's pre 43101, but it, it's listed in our 43101 and what what the results were. So it, it was an excellent report. Um, it was done by SGS or Lakefield, um, and they still have all the data on file. It's showing that uh, you, you know those great recoveries. It's something like 95% on zinc, and um, you know on a, it's especially important on any mining project that the metallurgic work. You know, there's a lot of projects out there that have great great numbers, but the, ultimately the, the metallurgy kills it. So, you know, it's very favorable for us to have a report that, you know, shows that, that these elements separate well. It also helps in terms of the CapEx, you know, when it, it'll be a sim, single crushing unit, it should separate well. Uh, we've looked at the recovery is, is good on, uh, especially good on zinc, but it's also on copper, gold, and silver. Okay. Uh, so we have those four elements that all metallurgically Points, points favorably. Okay, we'll have a look at that. Uh, so a question sent in, I should have asked earlier, when's the next drilling happening in Mariposa? Um, so our plan is um, is uh, is probably end of Q1 of next year. Okay. So we'll call it three or four months away. The The great thing about uh, this area that we're, we're in is that you can drill every single day of the year. So 365 days a year, it, does, it doesn't matter. So we've done two drilling campaigns over the, lo- the last couple of years. One was in the summer, one was in the winter. There's no difference, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I haven't talked about it, but I, one of the key differentiators on this project over others or competitors or peer groups is simply infrastructure. So um, it, it actually was a past producer. It had some uh, minor production during World War II. It was Hecla was in there. They did about 50,000 tons at around 13% zinc. Uh, and... So, it, you know, it does have some legacy history there as a producer. In terms of infrastructure, 
you know, what, what's key here is that it's like two miles away from a major highway, you know, a full paved highway. Uh, and electricity, you know, is a hydroelectrical facility, you know, a couple miles away. There's power lines running right through the property. In terms of communities, kind of 45 minutes either way from the property or smaller communities that would house your, your workforce. Um, so on this property, we wouldn't need to build uh, highways. We wouldn't need to build ports. We wouldn't need to build power or dealing with diesel or transport diesel in. We don't need to deal, build a camp. You know, so these are all things that, you know, if you're talking about a Northern project or a project in a third world or remote area, we don't have any of those things. Um, so it's, 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 you know, big, big advantage for us over other projects. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, in terms of getting the product out, uh, you know, you have, you have different refineries. You have some refineries in British Columbia, you know, we have rail nearby. Um, what may even be cheaper is it's a two and a half hour drive from site to the Oakland port where you have access to Korea, China. Um, you know, so those are things that, uh, you, you know, easy access to market. Okay. In terms of service providers, we're, we're a four-hour drive from Reno. And I've many times flown into Reno and dr driven from there. So you're talking about all your service providers, your rigs, your assay labs. Like you can drill, drive the core to the assay lab and be back in the same day. Like it's, you, you know, there's, there's a lot of advantages. Okay, fantastic. Patrick, thanks very much for running through that. Um, yeah. Obviously, looking forward to hearing when you're raising this capital in the new year. Can you not start that process until you've got 100% ownership or can have you already begun conversations? We've already begun conversations. Um, you know, it's it's a foregone conclusion. We're getting the project right. back 100%. We think we'll probably before we, we raise the capital, we'll, we'll have a something in writing that, that we have 100%. But, you know, it's, it's only... 60 days away. True, true. And 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 they can't, I mean, Platina, they can't go back into the market because the market must, it's it's not as soft as it was. Do they not have the chance of doing that too? Could they turn around to you and say, hey, we've got the money, we're going to crack on? Uh, well, I mean, they've, they've indicated that they, uh, they're focusing on gold in Australia. The, mm -hmm. You know, they're closer to home. But they, they also, is just from the, the agreement itself, uh, they had to drill 10,000 meters by, you know, early February of 2021. There's, there's no physical way they can do that. Easy. Ten, ten rigs. I've thought it through. <laughs> <laughs> right, Patrick. So that's fantastic. Like, thanks, thanks for the run through. Appreciate it. Give us a call when you've raised, when you raised that money um, and uh, started drilling because that would be exciting to see what you guys come up with. Thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.